0: You are about to hear a history making sound. The sound of a radio signal, man made, transmitted from outer space. Listen, 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 listen.
1: Hello and welcome to the PRISM Podcast, the podcast and blog where we analyze the spectrum of scientific, rational, and critical thought. I'm Jason Luchtefeld.
0: And I'm Grant Ritchie. Thanks for joining us. And please, when you get a chance, check out our blog and our podcast show notes on www.prismpodcast.com. And we'd appreciate it if you'd follow us on Twitter at, at @prismpodcast or email us with any feedback or advice, suggestions, at feedback at prismpodcast we'd love to hear from you. Hey, Grant. Hey, what, Jason? You know,
1: they can also check us out on Facebook now.
0: Really? How do they do that?
1: Well, you know, the Facebook machine. You yeah. go in and type in Prism Podcast,
0: and we come right up, right? That's right. Good idea. Great thinking, Jason. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, you know, we were talking about after our first podcasts, um, which we're still trying to learn the ropes, but. We were expecting zero listeners, and we had like three. So we had, we, it, we exceeded our goal by infinity percent. Yes. I mean that's impressive. Let's see those other guys do that.
1: I think at this rate, we're looking at a hall of fame.
0: Oh yeah, sure. because yeah, because if we if we increase it by another infinity percent, um, we'll be right up there. So we'll be up to six. We'll be up to six. <laughs> Okay, let me do the math on that one. But anyway, but we do appreciate everyone who's um, helped us get started and has listened to us and has um, followed us on Twitter. Um, we've gotten a lot of great feedback and a lot of encouragement, and we really do appreciate it. So keep it coming. Yeah,
1: so today we're going to try to finish up our TAM review and uh, see if we can hammer out days three and four here in a timely manner. We're going to approach this a little bit differently than we did the first two days. And rather than trying to touch on every single person that spoke, we're going to highlight a few and try to spend just a bit more time on each of those with some uh, relevant comments and points and messages that were, that were shared. So Is that because
0: it was long enough ago now that yet you can't even remember what you saw back then? Or is, it, is there a better reason?
1: Uh, no but i appreciate you pointing the pointing out my lack of memory being the causative factor
0: <laughs> you i mean i was there too i mean <laughs> i mean <laughs> pot meat, kettle so That's right. no That's right. okay no it's because we only want to distill it down to its finest essence we don't want right. to waste our our listeners valuable time and only the but, best
1: you know our finest essence is kind of like a placebo it's going to be uh, Very dilute. (laughs) It's going to be an individual's response. uh, Not exactly.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be a good thing. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it.
1: uh, The the first one I wanted to point out was uh, the, what I would call a reiteration by Jamie Ian Swiss. Uh, The title of his lecture was called Credit the Con Man, and he spoke quite a bit about cognitive dissonance and some primary areas where that comes into play. For example, if we make a financial investment in something, um, we will tend to stick with that longer even in the face of uh, a negative outcome uh, because we want to save face. So as he said, it helps to preserve confidence and self-esteem and protect that initial decision that we made. So. The actual definition of cognitive dissonance and a, a it's something is it's so big now and talked about so much could almost be its own episode. Um, but mm-hmm. I thought that his points on it were important to at least bring up here in that it also leads then, in his opinion, to the acceptance of magical thinking for people mm hmm And that the idea of there being some uh, magic out there that has influenced things helps to reduce anxiety in people and make us more comfortable, again, not only with our decisions, but with the environment around us.
0: Now, by magical thinking, are you talking like literally supernatural type of thing or just more things that are out of our control, fate, um, destiny? I mean, uh, those type of things. Are you you really...
1: Well, it, again, it's our interpretation of his words of, mm-hmm. of magical thinking. I would say it's all of those things that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And it, for any one person, it might be uh, any of those. So right.
0: It's the creation kind of an alternate reality. Yeah. Um, you, you buy a stock and it goes down, and you start creating your own reality of why that happened and why you justified it. And yes. you know we all turn that magical thinking, you know, uh, because it doesn't reflect reality, and it helps yeah, we, you. It releases re, cognitive dissonances.
1: Yeah, we create a narrative. Yes. To, to help our brain
0: uh, reduce that pressure. That yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay, great.
1: So that so that was good. A nice uh, little discussion about that. Yeah, he was uh, the really next good. was a much heavier discussion. Uh, this was by Michael Mann. He is a climate researcher, and the title of his talk was The Hockey Stick and the Climate Wars. And I had not heard of him prior to this lecture mm-hmm. and actually did not had not heard of the hockey stick. Oh, yet. wow. So as surprising as that might be from a, a liberal like me, um, I had not heard of it. So anyway, I was really impressed by, by him speaking out and the crap. That he has been through in the last what's it been fifteen years? Yeah, maybe more. But that, especially uh, the
0: last few years, when when you know things really started kind of hitting the fan. But yeah, for a yeah. long time.
1: So so say it's let's say it's fifteen years ago because I don't remember the, the exact number a year yeah. that uh, him and some fellow researchers um, came out with these projections about climate change and it the the graph. Of that, rep- looks like a hockey stick. Mm-hmm. So, it's the CO two uh, in the environment, and it's kind of going at a gradual uphill pace. And then, with the explosion in the last number of years in CO two emissions from a number of places, you have this upshot of CO two emissions that represents then the um, the active part of the hockey stick that mm-hmm. would be hitting the puck, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> So the active part so, of the hockey stick. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you're a hockey fan.
1: Hey, it works for me. <laughs> okay. Um. So, anyway, he he was. Uh, they came out with this, and it was based on science, and at first it was questioned, but then became much more accepted by by scientists in general, and
0: and even regulatory. Um, position papers from regulatory bodies and you know not just this this wasn't a a minority opinion it was you know 95%. Yes. yes. And growing.
1: So so the the part I really was amazed at was how much he's been attacked by yeah. oil companies, congressmen that appear to be supported by oil companies and uh, other lobbyists and things that have really attacked him in a number of ways and uh, really tried to ruin yeah. him oh, yeah. personally and professionally.
0: And by and attack, you're not just saying they're attacking his theories or in the arena of science, They're this is an honest debate. I mean, they were doing some very nefarious, um, yes. yeah, mining his emails, um, yeah, some pretty shady watergate type yeah. of stuff.
1: Yeah. So pretty amazing. He's come out of that and through that, and is is uh, appears to be better for it. And the message is is becoming more well known. And that message, uh, what stuck with me was a, a quote of his that we are in the midst of an uncontrolled environmental experiment with the Earth. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like that. It's worded well, and essentially it's saying that we. We have an, We are having as humans an unknown influence on the environment of the Earth. Right. And um, and talk about the
0: ultimate n equals one. We speak very commonly about you know one of the, the downfalls of say alt- some alternative medical practices is it relies on anecdotes where hey it worked for my you know Aunt Julia and so that and we call that n equals one because it's a it's a study of one. Well, Mm -hmm. this is an N equals 1 with the planet Earth, Mm -hmm. so it's a really big 1. But uh, we don't have a chance to rewind and go back and retry the experiment if this one doesn't work out.
1: That's right. And so that is a perfect segue into the next point that he made, that even if we stopped our CO2 production right now, the Earth would warm up by approximately 1 degree Celsius – for the next thousand years so in theory that's manageable it's a slow enough increase y- you can do something but it's also impractical because we're not going to stop producing co2 right so then the other flip side of that is if we continue at our current rates with no change we're gonna see a two degree celsius change by twenty one hundred So. That's 86 yeah. year 86 plus years. And so with that, we will be leaving our children or our children's children a fundamentally different planet than we live on right now. That's mind-blowing to me. That is.
0: I mean, oceans will rise, um, ice caps will will be devastated, ecosystems will be decimated. Yeah.
1: So the the lack of action is just uh, appalling and you know there's we can all do a little something and uh, some of us are more equipped or more uh, passionate or able to to do more or less, but we all should be doing something.
0: I only, f- I flush every other time. I'm well, doing my know, part. Well, you
1: know, my motto, you may not know this about <laughs> I, me, but you will soon. I know soon. what
0: you're gonna say, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. It,
1: if it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it down.
0: Oh, I got those too. <laughs> I got those mixed up, dang. <laughs> Okay. Thank you for thank you yeah. for clarifying that. God, yeah. I always get those two mixed up. That explains a lot, by the way. Okay. Thank, yep. <laughs> I bet my it my does. wife will be much happier. <laughs> yes. Henceforth. <laughs> okay. Oh. No, but but you know, seriously, that is just like any movement. Um, you know, no one of us can do anything really major, but everyone can do a little bit something. And what do they say? The um, CO2 passed the 400 parts per million concentration this summer sometime, kind of for the first time in history. And although that's kind of an arbitrary number, obviously, um, you know, it's like the stock market hitting 15,000. I mean, it's a benchmark that the higher it gets, the greater likelihood of that becoming irreversible uh, it becomes. Now, he was fantastic. He really was. Yep. And that's one that, uh, the the great thing about that at TAM, and you see this all the time at TAM, is, uh, you you know, those of us who go, we're all, those of us in the skeptical movement, we're all familiar with a lot of the names, the Shermers, the Phil Plates, the James Randys, uh, DJ Grothy, but the ones like Michael Mann, unless you have a really keenly in tune with climate science, and that's your, your bag, um, you may not have heard of him. I had not. I had heard of the hockey stick, but I didn't realize he was the guy who who's behind the hockey stick. Um, but so you go in and you see these lectures um, with no expectations, and they end up blowing you away. And that's yeah. just one of those great things. You just walk out of there saying, "Man, you know this is was just mind blowing and so stimulating because that is a whole area that I've just peripherally um, paid attention to." But never have really had any keen interest other than just general, you know, save the planet type of stuff. But yeah, it was it was fantastic. He was interesting. He was enlightening, and uh, I really learned a lot from it. I'm with you there. Okay. Uh,
1: The next, I'm going to combine the next three things into one because they're all related. So this is uh, uh, David Gorski spoke about the fight mm-hmm. of uh, Brzezinski and science-based medicine. Um, you might need to help me with this guy's name, Robert Blaskowitz. Yep. Okay. He spoke about the patients uh, involved in the Brzezinski clinic and some stuff he's doing on that end of things. And then there was a panel of medical cranks and quacks. With, well, it's uh, not, it wasn't
0: really a panel of them.
1: No. Well, that's no. debatable. Well,
0: yeah, that one depends guy. depends
1: on your, your perspective, yeah. yeah. Uh, Blaskowitz, Chrislip, Gorski, and Hall
0: were the panel members. Two of those so, were Cranks and Quacks, but the other two are pretty decent.
1: Yes, two of those names you should remember from our previous talk uh, where we did mention them, Mark Chrislip and Harriet Hall.
0: hmm
1: So, uh, David Gorski kind of gave the backstory about the Brzezinski <coughs> Clinic. It's his <coughs> cancer <coughs> clinic <coughs> in <coughs> Texas. Mm-hmm. That has been around for quite a while now, and uh, Brzezinski <coughs> claims <coughs> to <coughs> be <coughs> able to use these things called anti-neoplastons, I believe, yeah. to treat brain cancer specifically, and they uh, they harvest or cultivate or culture these anti-neoplastons from urine. So, they uh, – it's also known as the urine clinic because they're always taking uh, – uh, samples are collecting urine in order to...
0: So they're letting produce. it mellow. Ex- <laughs> yes. And at the clinic.
1: They do let it mellow. <laughs> <laughs> and so these antineoplastons, back when they were first thought of or discovered, initially were thought to maybe be something that could be helpful. And were looked into, and were found that they aren't. right. Brzezinski still <laughs> thinks they are. And has a multitude of clinical trials that are started but never finished, and some not even ever updated. And I don't know the formalities of that, but it has something to do with the fact that he has those out there gives some sort of legality to him still doing these anti-neoplasmic treatments without real repercussion.
0: Well, he can't, right, because he can't get... Cleared really through an ethics board. I don't think to practice this. This is not within the standard of care, and right. so since it's under the umbrella of an ongoing study, he calls this an uh, you know a clinical trial or a study. There you go. Where usually, um, if that's done, it's done at no cost or low cost to the patient because it's obviously for. Uh, they are they are taking some risk and, and inconvenience in, in exchange for um, scientific information. Well, this guy's charging his patients out the wazoo as though he, they were private patients, which they essentially are, but he's still calling it a, a study so that the uh, the regulatory bodies that be can't come shut them down. So it's really right. unethical, it's criminal, um, yeah. it's a travesty.
1: So there's been two... Uh movies made, I guess, about this, and and the second one even uh, goes into some attacks on the science-based medicine group that has spoken out against Mm -hmm. Brzezinski, so that was discussed as well. Um, So that leads straight into Robert Blazkowicz's description of a number of patients that have uh, received treatment and then died, uh, some relatively quickly Mm -hmm. after treatment. And he is actually working hard on a blog, I guess you could call it, website that is making profiles of all these patients that have uh, been treated there that have not had success. Right. Um, which and is, which is brilliant. Out, yeah. Which is good, yeah, good I,
0: on him for doing that.
1: Yeah. It's, it's really amazing. It seems to be a, a, a mounting. A significance to it in that the number of people is just growing much yeah. quicker than what the list of successful testimonials is growing on the real Brzezinski
0: site. And let's let's put successful testimonials in air quotes. Yes. Um, yeah, good but point. you're right, because because if if it is a testimonial-based situation, then all of they're going to hear success stories. I went down here and my cancer got better. Well, yeah. he is fighting—he's fighting fire with fire. So he's like, "Not so fast." This person did okay for six months, but then six months later, you know, they were worse off, or they had passed away. And so, yeah. um, by putting human faces on these tragedies, it's his—it's his desire to educate those who might be considering going down there, and hopefully yeah. dissuading them. So,
1: yeah. So, so something's happening there with what he's doing. He requested uh, some people to volunteer for his action email list, mm-hmm. so right. I actually did that. And As did I. Yeah, so I'm kind of waiting to hear on what the request is going to be for action. So that's an interesting thing that's still in progress. He just
0: keeps asking me to send him ten thousand dollars to his Nigerian bank account, which <laughs> nice. which which I do, and yeah. so I think Bob will do the right thing. I just trust him.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I hope so. Maybe he'll. End up tweeting us from Tahiti,
0: <laughs> Tweet, Tweety oh. from Tahiti. There's a <laughs> ring to that. Yeah, no, but he's doing he's doing great work, and and it's all just on his own. Um, he's born, you know, any costs involved in setting up the website, and obviously a, a decent amount of time. So mm-hmm. good for Bob. And then uh,
1: what rolls into that is then the panel, mm-hmm. and this was talking about fighting medical quackery, and the one thing here that kind of stood out to me I thought was interesting was that the, the health freedom laws that are out there are, according to the panel, are a bad thing because they allow essentially anything to be done under the umbrella of alt-med. Mm. So you call something alternative medicine and it almost gives you this, this freedom to do anything you want to people. And the medical boards are not doing anything about it because there's too much bureaucracy or, or they don't know what to do about it. And, and there's, a, and there's and
0: in some cases, some strong lobby groups actually opposing yep. them. Or, you know, they've got some representatives, senators, whatever, kind of on their side. And so they kind of fight them politically. Yeah. And plus, a lot of times, the regulatory boards are weasels. Yeah. I hate to say that there's a there's a uh, I don't mean to interrupt, but there's a uh, a naturopath over in a town not far from where I am, and um, big advertisement in the local paper. And this is a college town of about 80,000. Um, acupuncture can cure, I mean, diabetes, um, all these, I mean, everything you can imagine. And so I wrote the uh, Board of Healing Arts in the state of Kansas, which licenses physician and and dentists and things like that, and said that these are false claims. You know, this, you cannot, not even, I think I got an email response that, thank you for sending a letter, blank. And, you know, they're not going to do anything, which is pathetic. It's, it's, it's uh, craven. It's cowardly.
1: It's it's really unfortunate. Yeah.
0: That's what their job is to protect, you know, to protect the health of the public, and they're not doing yeah. it.
1: Yeah. All right, so moving on, it's a little outside the the scope of our normal podcast or our dental universe or medical, but uh just one thing uh Jerry Coyne talked about. And he he spoke a lot about science and religion. Obviously, he's he's got a website I think it's called Evolution is True and he's uh a big proponent of evolution and fights a lot of creationist stuff. And what he talked about that I thought was important was that science is a method to evaluate the universe whereas religion is a social system with a belief in a supernatural agent. Yes. And so they are not compatible and that uh, science encourages the, the discovery of new things and of potentially truths, whereas religion discourages it in support of uh, believing the the dogma of whatever the religion de jour may be. That's all I have to say about that. Susan Hack was an interesting woman. I, I wrote down that she's an old school literature woman. So to me, that means that she likes big words, but I don't understand
0: <laughs> if you were to cast if you had a, a TV show and you wanted to cast that serious professor who would just grill you and was very eloquent and and you know almost you know spoke with a very aristocratic she would yes. fit that's who you would cast Perfect. Yeah,
1: she would she would insult me, and I wouldn't even know it because I wouldn't would understand the words her. she uses. Yes, she spoke exactly. like
0: you're probably too young for this, but she spoke like Jane Hathaway in the Beverly Hillbillies.
1: Okay, <laughs> was she the secretary? Yes, for Mr. Okay, Drysdale. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. You whippersnappers won't get that, but you that's old right. folks will will now have a mental image of of what yeah. her uh, what her uh, voice sounded like. But
1: that's good. That's good. And that's
0: not an ad hominem attack. Where we're saying this um, uh, as a compliment because she was very Absolutely. eloquent. I, yeah, I,
1: I really appreciated her lecture. Yeah,
0: I wish I could I, speak like her.
1: I actually learned uh, three new words and um, have tried to use them occasionally. So Really? Can you work there, them
0: into this conversation?
1: Uh, no. Oh, man. Well, I might by the end of the talk. Okay. By the end of the uh, but the podcast.
0: Okay. <laughs> but don't tell us when you do, and we'll see if we can. <laughs> well, we'll have I'm a contest. Sure the first, <laughs> the first. It'll th-
1: stand out like a like a sore <laughs> thumb. It's gonna be pretty obvious. Unless you're very credulous, and then you wouldn't realize. That's true.
0: But it, so if any listeners, if any of the three listeners there or six listeners that are listening to this, they can spot the new words for Jason. That's right. Email him and he'll give you the first one to email it with the correct answer. He'll get you, uh, buy you a new iPad. Okay. Yes. Go ahead.
1: Uh, I'm going to move on to day four. Okay. Uh, unless uh, there's something you want to no, say. No, uh, that,
0: was, that was really good. Um, yep. The one thing I, that I did like one of the, the um, lectures that you didn't mention was Barbara Drescher's Menza. Um, yeah. Mensa. yeah. Uh, I can't remember the title now.
1: Uh, why Mensa Will Never Eliminate World Hunger
0: Yes And she just You know uh, In a nutshell She joined Mensa The High IQ Society It's for people With IQs over 150 I believe Upper 2% Of the population I think And She thought This would be great A lot of like-minded people um, A lot of intelligent people Which are But one of the things She knows they are all these Little subgroups um, You know Whether it's a literature group Or chess players Or anything And there were a huge number of paranormal groups. There were, you know, Bigfoot groups. There were UFO abduction groups. Um, you know, ones that you know talk about cognitive dissonance that just flabbergasted. And and her the theme of the story is just because you're intelligent doesn't mean you're smart. And um, you know, there's just a lot of dumb smart people out there. But that was that was pretty entertaining, I thought. And then as you go into to day four, I will have to to um, recuse myself. Um, (laughs) I I was up until six o'clock in the morning, um, not because I was being wild or or bad or doing anything, you know, but I just got into some fantastic conversations with um, several people, one in particular, um, who had some great advice about some things that I um, really was on my mind. So um, I thought it was about Two, I thought I was staying up way past my bedtime, and lo and behold, I got up, and it was already light out. And so I missed several of the morning little things.
1: Well, we were good little boys and girls and went to bed early, fairly. Yeah, So made it to the uh, first morning. We actually were a little bit late, but that's because we weren't sure what this morning was going to be like. Mm -hmm. It was the paper presentations. Right. So... You know, in dentistry, my my thought about a paper presentation was like a poster presentation. I thought they were going to have posters set up and we would like walk in a room. Like table clinics. Yeah, exactly. So that wasn't what it was at all. It was actually full blown presentations, fairly short ones, by uh, six different people. They got to get on stage, they had PowerPoints or keynotes, and uh, a few of them gave fantastic talks. So. A couple of them stood out. One, uh, Jeffrey Watson has a website, apesnotmonkeys.com, and he's doing skepticism through comics. So he's a comic book illustrator yeah, and has his own comic, and he has different animals like apes, monkeys, uh, cats, and other things that represent different people in the world of skepticism, religion, pop culture, and whatnot. And so it's a really creative, really well done comic. So I, I, I would love to give a shout out, shout out to him that uh, what he's doing is pretty cool. Another one was the presentation by Andrew Hansford on the Marblehead UFO. He talked down to the smallest detail about how he debunked this uh, UFO sighting, and. Apparently people saw this flash of light and it moved really fast and there were some pictures of it over on the East Coast. And so he did a number of different things with looking up flight patterns of airlines, uh, the sight lines from where the photographs were taken, uh, sunrise and sunset, the cloud positions, looking at the National Oceanographic Mm -hmm. website, the NOAA. A number of other places took all these things, kind of put them together, and had the exact flight, uh, airline, all this stuff, where it took off, the flight pattern, and exactly why it gave the photo presentation that it did. It was
0: in that He could show that it was in that particular spot of the sky yes. at that particular. Yeah. Brilliant. It was awesome. Brilliant.
1: So, it, it, and he was really... Like passionate and excited and and, uh, I thought a good speaker. So it was pretty enjoyable to see him uh, speaking. A couple other people talked about some creationism in the classroom, trying to uh, fight that kind of stuff. Friends of Science and Medicine and then um, Shane Greenup talked. We talked about him the other day. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to reiterate that. Next one uh, was really good. Actually I want to buy some of this guy's books. Uh, Joe Schwartz Mm -hmm. Um, He spoke, the title was called The Worms in My Blood Vessels. He had a really entertaining lecture about some of the things that he has debunked throughout his uh, history in, I think it's Montreal area. I think he's a professor at McGill and has a radio show for like 30 years where that's what he's been doing is scientific debunking of all kinds of things. And so he's got a number of books that talk about it, and he's got a number of experiments he does with some of his students and it was a really fun, easy to listen to lecture. Harriet Hall. Yes uh, hers was a skeptical look at screening tests. so
0: that's about when I th- came in.
1: Yeah, good, perfect yeah. Uh, this I found interesting i I kind of like screening tests myself, yeah but but that's my own for my own use anyway, uh, she talked about screening tests and why they're not for everybody. And that, uh, let's see, first she defined a few things. Uh, accuracy and specificity, mm-hmm. uh, the positive predictive value, the negative predictive value, and then how some of those things are related to some of the things that are currently tested for. So some examples. You don't test everybody for everything because you would have way too many false positives Mm -hmm. or way too many things that would show up positive that might be positive, but it doesn't matter. So for example, urine cultures, 30% of women over 70 have a positive test, Mm -hmm. but they're asymptomatic. They're over 70. They might have a positive urine culture. So if that was done on every woman over 70, you'd have all these people being treated for no reason. Right. So, uh, it gets into some some oftentimes challenging math, in my opinion, in how all this is calculated and how, you know, what a positive test means if you're… And how
0: many do you have to do to counterbalance that? Yeah. How many benefits do you get per… Yeah. Yeah. No, so, it's very fascinating.
1: It is. And so, you know, my own interest is just in my own health. Right. And so, you know, a, num- a few years ago, I had a exhaustive blood panel done mm-hmm. because I wanted kind of a baseline of when I was fairly young and healthy that I could compare to later in life. Because normally, you know, they would never test a a 35-year-old for PSA or for... Uh, testosterone or right. any of that stu- kind of stuff, unless I was a professional cyclist or a baseball player. Right. I wanted it so that you know when I'm 50, I can compare and, if needed, do something about yeah. it because it it's going to change. So it seems like it maybe that was a waste of time and money for me. Or
0: well, see, I know, don't th- see. I th- I don't think so because one is that was it was not prescribed to you. It was not recommended to you. It's something you wanted. So it was with your discretionary dollars. It was also informational. They were not diagnosing a disease because of it. It was a baseline that is more for your interest and the procedure itself because they're drawing blood for other reasons. um, You know, one of the, the points that Harriet made is, you know, you go in and you have a high PSA, for example, over four or whatever. They go in, so, oh, we better go in and biopsy. Well, the biopsy itself is not without risk. You can become mm-hmm. impotent. You can, you know, get infection. You can have all kinds of problems. And what are the chances that that biopsy procedure is really going to save a life? And it turns out it's very, very slow. So what you were doing, I think, you know, is not inappropriate. And now if there's your physician was trying to talk you into these blood panels and gave you some you know, strange explanation that really uh, wasn't valid, then that's a different story. Right. Um, but this was non-invasive, and it was discretionary. But you do get the point, because <clears throat> what if something yeah. would have been out of, quote, the normal range? Would right. you have acted on that? What do you do? Or the, then would risks have been um, introduced right. into the whole system?
1: Dr. Hall seemed pretty pejorative about the screening test in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, so I, I think of it like... Two sides of it, I, I appreciate that there are things done that probably don't need to be treated if they show positive at the same time there's things that do so from a dental standpoint, right we see cavities in teeth all the time that don't hurt right, but that doesn't mean that they should not be treated right and so it's it's hard to you can't have just a blanket statement that screening tests are not valuable or that all asymptomatic things should not be treated
0: no you're right
1: you know you have to have a little bit more you need to laser focus right
0: exactly she needs this because the two main examples that she gave were mammograms and psa i think one kind of for women and you can see that because um whether it's a breast biopsy with a suspicious mammogram or a prostate biopsy you know there are risks but then she did say stuff like blood pressure screening obviously non-invasive, and that can uncover some serious issues. Yeah. So I do think there needs to be a list of screening exams that are worth doing. And there are some screening exams, and I'm sure that list is out there somewhere. So we could do better. We could do better. And educating the public that just because you're getting screened for it, because people who are health conscious, they just feel better. Oh, I got screened. So, but...
1: I think a a good example she maybe gave on that was that the test for diabetes, Yeah. that it's really not necessary unless you also have high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. So like you said, if you do a non-invasive high blood pressure test, you find they have high blood pressure, well, that leads you, you almost have like an algorithm for your screening test that if you have this, then... You get this screening test because it's going to be a value. You don't just do a blanket. Yeah, everything cover everything. For yeah. Yeah. No,
0: that's great. No, you're absolutely right.
1: Uh, routine physicals, she says, did, does nothing for mortality, according to the mm-hmm. observational uh, research they have. And that a symptom-based exam can oftentimes be better. Obviously, in dentistry, we don't like hearing that. We want people back every six months, right? Right. But I can that, say, I, I, I can tell changing. you, right?
0: Yeah. But. And and you know, for dentistry, I, I would disagree with with that. Yeah. We'd make a lot more money if that's how it was, because by the time people become symptomatic, their treatment is a lot more expensive and and extensive. Right. But uh, but I think I mean, and and if she was sitting here with us, I don't think she would would argue with that at all. No. But just no. as a general rule of thumb.
1: Yeah, she was credit her. She was talking about medicine, general right. practice, not dentistry, not specialists. That right. Kind of thing. Exactly. Uh, she did say though that tests for uh, diet and supplements. There are tests out there. You know, you can have your blood tested or your even your saliva tested, mm-hmm. and they will tell you that there's a certain diet or a certain supplement that you need. Uh, those are quackery at this oh, point. Yeah. So. yeah. so that's good. All right, I'm going to move on. The next talk I thought was fantastic, one of the top three for me for the whole entire weekend, and that was uh, Peter Boghossian.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He had, so first of all, he had his slides done by a graphic designer. So they were pretty slick, pretty well done. They were kind of cool in that it was a dark background and then white letters, and it, he didn't have every word that he said up on slides. He had general... Thoughts. So, for example, he would have authentic, you know, on the hmm. slide, and then he would talk about authenticity. He did that for a number of things. And then when he got to an area that was a, a negative or like a warning, then instead of in white, the word would be in red. So there were some cool little things there that were done with the the fonts, uh, size, color, and whatnot that that made it even. A little yeah. bit more interesting and creative. And enhance the message,
0: too. I think it enhanced yeah. the learning experience.
1: So the title of his talk was Authenticity. And so he talked about uh, forthright speech was uh, how he started off. Key point there was to speak the truth in the face of danger, to be bold. You know, this lecture really hit home for me because it's, an, it's a battle that I often find myself in of of speaking up and speaking out speaking my mind versus just being quiet and not ruffling feathers Mm -hmm. and so he really kind of i think gave some support to being open and honest with your opinions make sure you're sincere and clear and direct and if you are that you shouldn't apologize for that it's an opportunity to be yourself and ultimately it's going to make life itself more fulfilling I thought it was a very
0: valuable message there. Absolutely. Uh, Which really hit home after hearing Sanal speak about, you know, his trials and tribulations in India where he was not afraid to speak the truth despite some pretty harsh uh, uh, consequences.
1: Absolutely. And and I think we saw that in a number of people through the weekend. The next was to be open to belief revision. So even though you may have a strong opinion and voice it, uh, you have to be open to revising those beliefs as more information is presented on any given topic. By doing that, he says, you're going to improve relationships and you're much less likely to become fake or have false statements that you're sharing. Right. And finally, he summed up three things to do in order to be authentic. Uh, number one is be comfortable saying, I don't know. Number two, don't apologize.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And number three, be clear, direct, and sincere. You know, number two really stands out. You know, how many times do we do we say our, we're sorry? Yeah. When we're not really sorry. We're saying we're sorry because it's the cultural, culturally... Right right thing to say i'm not sorry for what
0: i said i'm sorry that i am confronting you in some way yeah because i'm a non-confrontational person and my my default mode is to sit back and not be confrontational and so i will remain silent very often rather than than risk you know getting someone's hackles up or or you know Maybe they won't like me if I don't say, you know, if I don't agree with them. And uh, I think that a lot of that is human nature, but it doesn't do I, any good in the long run in a relationship. Because if, if that's the, what your relationship is based on, it's not an authentic relationship.
1: It was a fantastic lecture.
0: He it, it presented really well.
1: Uh, the day wrapped up with the million dollar challenge.
0: Did they win the million dollars?
1: They did not even oh, get 20% God. of it. I really uh, thought this
0: year they were going to get it.
1: It was an interesting setup, and at, from some behind-the-scenes conversations, it sounds like they're having more and more difficulty getting people to do the challenge Yeah. Uh, be, uh, for a variety of reasons, apparently. But anyway, this was an odd one in that it was a guy from Algeria who I mean, actually it's just, had— It's like
0: sending the Washington Generals in to play the Harlem Globetrotters yeah you know you're you're not gonna win,
1: no, you know, like a number of people said that they wished somebody would win, you know they want this to be true. they want somebody to have some powers right <laughs> well, yeah so cool, yeah, but it's just not happening, so this guy was supposed to to guess three objects that were in a room, and there was Road a whole viewing type elaborate of thing. thing, yeah. And uh, he was going to be able to sense, you know, what these things were. And so if he were to get three out of the five, they would consider that a success enough to move on to the next level of whatever. And he got zero. Correct. Yeah. Didn't even come close. So anyway, and then like is typical, uh, I think we talked about this on our first podcast that people come up with reasons pretty quickly for their failures and you know it was i think it was ramadan and so he wasn't focused
0: or it was
1: you know a variety of
0: everything except maybe i don't have this ability (laughs) exactly (laughs) everything except the one reason that's valid that's always a great wind up to a great meeting because i mean in a lot of ways you kind of feel sorry for these people because you know they truly believe that they can do this and they are on a big stage. Yeah. And I do think, I, you know, to credit the, the TAM people that go, I mean, they're very respectful and that type of thing. But, you know, that would have to be kind of humiliating.
1: Yeah, I guess that's all the better that he was on the phone. And yeah, not in I guess so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you couldn't hear him just curling up in the fetal position and weeping. Yeah. Right. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm going into a tunnel. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, great meeting. Moral of the story is is more people should go. That's my go to meeting every year.
1: Yeah, we we thought it was great. And the I liked the fact that they had a different theme
0: this year. Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't I didn't grasp that I guess in the first year um in 2012 when we went that it would be something where it was a different theme every year. So that was nice because I could see where it could get a bit old after a while if you just had the same people talking about skepticism every single year. But to be able to kind of have that theme and the Fighting the Fakers theme this year uh, gave an opportunity for – a lot of really interesting approaches to to skepticism yeah. and to uh, critical thinking and science. Really enjoyed the the full four days.
0: Yeah, it was it was great. So go next year, kiddies. Make your plans now. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for that, Jason. I mean, that was a great wrap up and a heck of a lot better than I could do because I've forgotten most of it. But that is great.
1: Well, that's the beauty of, of taking a couple
0: notes. Yeah, well, I wasn't even organized enough to do that. So I think at the time I thought I would remember it. No, but it was, it was fantastic. Not to mention just the you know, just the behind the scenes and, and out in the hallway, just the people that you meet and rub shoulders with and talk to and get to know. It's just, it's just great all the way around. So that is
1: going to end it for us yeah. for yeah. Uh, podcast number two. Hey,
0: two. I think one or two more we actually get to attempt to be on iTunes. So, yeah, keep your fingers crossed. And hope I, we don't get rejected. I didn't
1: realize they had they had requirements. Oh, so, it's uh, it's
0: crazy. I mean, huh. it's like your I mean stupid stuff like your your um, little logo thing has to be exactly you know so many pixels and and you have to go through it. It's like getting citizenship in a country. Well, I can yeah. relate. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's not quite like that. That's true. Sorry, too soon.
1: No, no, not at all. Okay.
0: Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us. And like we said, please join us uh, on Twitter at Prism Podcast and on Facebook. And check out our website at PrismPodcast.com. Love to hear from you. Tell us what you want to hear, what you don't want to hear, what you like, what you don't like. And uh, we'll keep trying to get better and better every week.
1: Hey, we could probably give a little bit of a shout to our next episode, Yes. Since we kind of have um, a little bit of an idea of what we're going to talk about.
0: Yeah, I'm going to talk about John to... Lennon's tooth and how they're going to uh, planning to clone a new John Lennon. Yeah. No, they, um, he <laughs> gave it to his housekeeper. Oh, nice. I swear. That's the, yeah, here you go. All right. Yeah. I don't want you to give too much away. No, spoiler alert. Okay. That's right. That's okay. Right. You have to tune in, guys. Okay. Well, thanks, Jason. Talk to you later. Bye, Grant. Good night, everybody.